we are to develop an intimate relationship, we need to know each other's desires. If we wish to love each other, we need to know what the other person wants. Gary Chapman, author of The Five Love Languages. On today's episode of the Family Engagement Podcast, we're going to talk about the M in the four-part series of Home called Managing Your Language. How do we find out what our love language is? How do we find out our spouses? And how do we change the words and our expressions and how we give and receive love so that the other will be fulfilled? We're going to talk about all that plus more uh, in today's Family Engagement Podcast. Welcome back on the uh, Family Engagement Podcast. My name is Jimmy Dunn, and I am the Associate Pastor of Worship and Families at Exchange Church in Arnold, Missouri. Hey, I just wanted to apologize and thank everybody for uh, listening in to the series. I know I took about a month uh, break uh, with sicknesses and with weather. Here in Missouri, we get kind of crazy weather out here uh, with snow and uh, with the holidays it was just kind of crazy, and so I took a little bit of a hiatus, and um, I'm back, and I just wanted to do my best and my due diligence into finishing out this series called Home. We began with the letter H, and we discussed how it is his God's design about marriage and about families and how family was created um, to uh, worship him and the whole intent of the family uh, prior of sin was to uh, be fruitful and multiply and have uh, generations and generations of people to um, have children. That was God's original intent. Uh, I just want to make a, a quick note here and, and just say because of sin, because of, um, you know, there's some, some families who can't have children and who there's some families who decided that they don't want children or there's families who... Um, they decided that they were going to adopt and or have their own, and whatever um, your family looks like. I do not uh, want to uh, discredit how the Lord has called you to live uh, your life and uh, how uh, you should raise your family. I am making the point that God did design the family with one man, one woman, uh, with the intent for them to have uh, babies and be fruitful and multiply, and they will walk and live amongst the Father uh, in perfect paradise. That was his uh, an original design, his intent. Um, and I believe that the best way we can get back to that in a, in, a, in a real relationship with him is to start there with the family. Some people are called to be single forever, and, and, I, and I totally uh, agree that with Paul that says it's good to be single, where you don't have to um, hold the responsibility of uh, being a husband and a father and have to uh, rely upon the dangers that it is that you have to make decisions uh, with your life and ministry because of your your spouse and children. Um, I, I definitely agree that that's what Paul was, was speaking of as good uh, to even be single as Paul was single. So I, I want to clear that up, that this series is directed towards the family um, husbands, wives, and children who have children or who don't have children. This is all aspects of marriage in itself. 
And so that's why I want it to be a resource, but I do not want to hinder anybody who feels as though I am trying to create a straw man saying that God is not pleased with you if you uh, are you don't have kids or if you're not married uh, yet, but he does call us to be one with a spouse and, and not to be um, alone or, or um, that he uh, doesn't want us to be co-living with someone forever. I do think that he calls us to be married and to be committed to one man, one woman for life. So I just want to clarify that real quick. Um, and now we will get into um, the next one, which was the O, which is our given personality. We talked about how the Lord has designed each and every one of us in our mother's womb with a specific personality. And we talked about Myers-Briggs and 16 personalities. And God is all 16 of those personalities. But he has given us one of those to become a reflection of him. And so we are all different. Some of us are introverts. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us are very detail-oriented, while another person may be a big picture. You know, some of us are more of a free spirit, while the other one needs to maintain a schedule. And so when you put all these decision-makings and how God has designed us, it's important for uh, those who are married to understand not only themselves, but their significant other's personality. And we equate this to a high school degree, to a college degree and PhD. You may have heard that before. And uh, getting a PhD and beyond on your understanding of your spouse, it takes a lifetime. So we're never going to fully understand everything we know about each other. But these are steps to where we can start. Knowing how God has designed us and how we function and how we can live under one roof with one another and I've done several premarital counselings, crisis counselings, and this is where I start um, with the personality of, of relational with each other. I start with a relationship with God, with His design in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, and then we work up to this to being relational with each other. And if you don't understand who your spouse is and who you are as a person, how you make decisions, and how you feel comfortable and use your energy. Uh, this is a great place to start, and uh, I'm going to reference those two podcasts to you, H for His Design and O for Our Given Personality. And today, we're going to discuss the M, which is Managing Your Language. And so um, another resource I would like for you to purchase and get to know and read maybe together or separate is The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And I read this with my wife, Samantha, when we were engaged and this uh, changed our perspective on one another again. Um, this is grew our understanding of one another deeply. And uh, we, the, you get a test, and you're given um, a love languages. And you can be one, or you could be two. I would say my, my personal opinion is that you can be two at one time. Anything more than that is just kind of unclarity. But there's at least two that you go between. And the five love languages... Um, just to give you a little bit of a, a preview, is physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, means giving, you know, buying and giving gifts or making gifts for one another, and acts of service, doing things for one another. And you're usually one or two of these love languages. I, myself, whenever I was engaged, um, when, I was ma- when I was preparing to be married to my wife, Samantha, uh, you can be a highest number of 12. I was all 12 physical touch. 
you know? So I, um, and, and you take these quizzes and I realized that in order to feel loved, I like to have physical contact. I like to shake hands. I like to give hugs. I, for my wife specifically, she's the only one who I could lay on the couch and snuggle up with, or, you know, the only woman that I wanted to have relations with. Um, you know, for, for her, it was two of them. Uh, the first one was, uh, words of affirmation. And the second one was acts of service. And what I mean that you can be more than one is because they were both were like a nine. So she, they're even, so both were, were nines. And the next one could have been an eight or a seven, but those were the two top where they're equal with one another. And what that means is she wanted me to express my words towards her of encouraging her with her words. And she wanted me to do things around the house. Uh, she wanted me to show my love for her through service by doing things, by cleaning up, uh, you know, laundry or dishes or working outside, you know, and helping her do things. And so here's an, here's an example of what a situation could look like in your home uh, when you don't know each other's love languages. So at the time, Sam and I were married in our first year. We did the five love languages, love languages test, and we knew that, but we put it off to the side. We were, it was our honeymoon phase, so we were focused on other things, uh, getting our house in order, decorating it, getting our, you know, getting, wondering how we we're going to live together. And it was about, you know, four, five months in, and we both worked, and uh, my wife was getting extremely upset in the evenings when she'd come home from work, and I was confused. I, I said, hey, you know, it just seems like you've been frustrated, and, and I want to know what's going on. And um, as uh, she should, she started saying things like, no, it's okay, you know, I, 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 we'll just get over it. But I really wanted to talk about it. And so we went back and forth, and we tried to push through it, and she didn't want to talk about it. And then it kind of blew up, and then there was some quiet, and then after that there was some explaining. <laughs> and so what we eventually found out was is that I worked all day, and I wanted to come home, and I wanted to relax. Sam worked all day, and then she came home, and she continued to work at home. And so my mentality, as my personality, is I'm a fly-by-the-seat-of-the-pants person. I'm free. I'm uh, someone who doesn't think about things forward. Like I'm not a, I'm not a scheduled, I'm not a detail-oriented person. I'm a very um, big-picture idea person. And so when I got home, I sat down on the couch, you know, I, I watched some TV, I, you know, we eat dinner and then, you know, I just want to relax the rest of the day. Well, she realized that, you know, laundry need to be done, dishes need to be done, you know, things need to be taken care of. And she couldn't relax until all that work was done. So I was a play, then work or work all day, then play and then work later if there's time. And then she was a work worth everything until everything is done. And then she can play, she can relax. And that created a conflict because we both had different goals. You know, we both knew we were married. We both knew that we wanted to live this life together, but we didn't know how to live with each other. And so with the five love languages came on was that while I worked and then came home and sat on the couch, I just kept calling her over like, hey, you know, come sit down, you know, just, just lay here with me. Let's watch some Netflix. Let's, you know, this. And she just kept getting frustrated. So I wasn't being fulfilled because she was, it felt like she was rejecting me and wanting to relax with me. 
And she was getting frustrated because she thought I was rejecting her by pulling her away from her work, which was not an uplifting word. It was actually a damaging, you know, to her. And I wasn't doing what I needed to do as an act of service love to meet her needs. So we both were ignoring how we were expressing our love to one another because we were being selfish. We were both trying to get the other person to do what we wanted to do. And that's not love. Love is doing sacrificial work, sacrificial words, sacrificial desires so that the other person can be fulfilled. And Gary Chapman talks about this in his book. He talks about the love tank. And as we communicate and as we interact with one another, our love tank will, will, will be depleted. It will start going down like a, you fill up your gas tank. It's full. Well, eventually, over time, you start you know, doing things for one another and you're not getting anything back in return. You just keep on getting lower and lower and your tank eventually will get empty. And then you just become bitter and frustrated and you start fighting and angry. And so we developed, um, Samantha and I used this love language uh, tool so that we can better communicate. We, we can better understand one another. So I realized that my task needed to be, when I got home from work, that I needed to do things. I needed to, you know, pick up the yard, cut the grass. I, you know, there was there were certain things she wanted me to do and some things she didn't want me to do. She didn't want me to touch the laundry, you know, because <laughs> I probably screwed it up, put the colors with the whites and mess it all up. But I could do outside work. And so there were certain things that were my responsibility and certain things were her responsibility. But as long as those things got done, she felt loved. For me, it was when time was ready and I knew when that time was that she could relax. She could spend time with me. We can lay together on the couch. We could hold hands or while we're working, we could pass by and give, you know, a passing by kiss or, you know, hug or whatever it was. Um, I need a connection at that time. So we worked out a plan. Then plans changed (laughs) once you have kids. And so about a few years later, we started having kids and both of our love languages changed. And that's the thing, like personalities remain the same from the time you're growing and you're born and you're, and you're, you're growing after that and you're, you're trying to figure out life and you're developing who you are as a person. You pretty much, are, there's a certain point where you stay kind of constant of, of how you make decisions, how you do things, but then you can bend and you can adjust, but you're usually the kind of the same person. A few things that you always remain the same. But love languages, they change per situation in your life. And so, for instance, I told you mine was 12 physical touch. When we had kids and we're a little bit further into marriage, it changed. My love language for physical touch went down a few notches. And actually, it went below. um, And I got a new top priority language. And that was uh, words of affirmation. I needed to be told more often than I needed to be touched that I'm a good father, I'm a good husband. Um, But both were my top. So... Both, both were, were kind of in the high range. So, you know, for me to, for my wife to kind of stop me and, and, and put me down and, and hold me, in, uh, you know, by the arms and say, hey, you're a great father, you're a great husband, you're, you're doing everything you can. Um, I support you. I love you. You know, just a little bit more of a, of a cheerleader aspect. I needed that. I need that now uh, more than ever. And for her, it was less uh, words of affirmation and more quality time. For her, it was, you know, you keep saying certain things, but I, I really want just you to 
to spend more time with me and spend more time with your kids. Don't do side jobs as often anymore. We'll make it through. Just spend time with your kids, you know, wrestle and play with them and, you know, and also acts of service of helping clean up dinner and helping do bath time and having to pick up toys. And, you know, so uh, now there was a point where we recognized that they changed. Like, hey, you've, you've changed. I keep doing the same things. I keep, you know, telling you how great you are, but you're, you're not really fulfilled as, as much as you were. Or she said, you know what, you know, we, you know, you don't, don't seem like uh, you're fulfilled as much as you used to be whenever we used to lay on the couch together and you, you need more of encouraging word. And that's true. And so per situation, your language changes. And, you're, and on a constant basis, you're going to have to reevaluate this. And I would probably say it's every 10 years. I, you know, it's probably it maybe less than that, but I would probably say every 10 years because situations change, you know, in 10 years. It's been 10 years since, uh, almost 10 years since my wife and I have been married. And we were, we've, we've met and been engaged and then got married and had kids, and it changed. You know, in 10 years, my, my daughter's going to be uh, a teenager, and I, I guarantee you that how I'm going to need support for my wife is going to be, and how I need her to speak love to me is going to be different. And so, and her, her me as well. And so language changes over time. And how you know when that changes and how you respond and how you then give sacrificially up to those languages and not just be selfish in speaking your own language, but needing to speak their language. That's the other key. Is that if I just kept saying, oh, hug me, Sam, hold my hand, when she didn't want to be touched because that's not how she feels love, then we're going to have issues because um, I'm never going to communicate to her the way that I need to express my communication. But if I speak to her in the way that she needs to be spoken to, then she feels loved. Then her tank is filled. And then she feels in the right place that she needs to fill me up. And then that's that give and take. That's that give and take of, of he needs me, I need her and that we can support one another. And so I've also developed this little tool um, about love languages as well. If you took a, a piece of paper and you drew a triangle, in the top you put um, want, and on the bottom right you would put need, and on the bottom left you would put should do. And you can do this in any situation. I use this kind of a tool with those in my class. I say, you know, take any situation that you had a problem and you're going to dissect what that was. And so I'm going to use an example of a, of a couple who I just had premarital counseling with. And so the, the gentleman and the, the, the man in the, in the relationship who's getting married, he would talk about how he would make dinner in his girlfriend's apartment. Uh, before she would come home from work. And then she would get home, and then they would eat dinner, and then he would ask her, how was it? And she said, oh, it, it was good. And he said, no, you know, you just let me know, like, you know, what was wrong with it? You know, what, what, what should I have done? And her not wanting to hurt his feelings kept on saying, no, it was fine, it was good. But he knew that there was something wrong. So this went on for several minutes, the back and forth. And then it turned into silent treatments, and then it got frustrating, and then there was this disconnect, and maybe even an argument, and then there was this, then the truth came, finally came out. You know, I forget what the truth actually was. It may have been like, you know, it just was, the chicken was dry, or, you know, this, this wasn't tasting good. But the damage had already been done. So if you take this tool where the top says want, and the bottom right says need, and the, top le- uh, the bottom left says should do, in this situation... The gentleman, all he wanted was truth and honesty. He just wanted, he just wanted at the top, he, I would have him put, 
I want to be, uh, I want the outcome to be good. I want the dinner to be good and her to, to feel like I contributed to her. And the need was he just needed honesty. He didn't, you know, if, if he couldn't get to the want, if his goal was to get her to say, wow, that was a really great meal, but he didn't get that. At least his need was that he wanted her to be honest with him and say, you know, this is okay, but you should have, you know, cooked the chicken less, you know, not as long. Maybe, you know, it's a little dry. That's all he wanted was for her to be honest with him. But instead she kind of just sugarcoated it and was just like, I don't want to hurt his feelings. So I'm just going to tell him it was fine. And that's where you go to the should. What should she respond? She should have just responded with his need so that the next time he can fight for another want. So the next time when they get together for dinner, he can fight for, I want, you know, she told me that chicken was dry. I'm going to cook it less so that this time I can really get a great reaction out of her. And so in any situation, you can do that. You can, you can take a, an issue and say, okay, well, what did you want out of this situation? Okay, you didn't get that. So what is the bottom line need? You know, out of this situation, you were frustrated, but what did you at least need from me in order this to be a good situation? Next time, I, I will do that for you. I should do that for you next time so that you can fight for what you want next time. Because if we can't give us a goal or, a, or to fight for what we're going to do next time, then we know it's going to be a losing battle next time. And so I pray and ask God that you will get into his word, that you will understand each other's personality, and now you will learn what your love language is. So that way you can communicate clearly to your spouse how you need love and how you can tell them that you love them based on what their love language is. So you can go to fivelovelanguages.com and you can take the test for free to find out your love language and then your spouse as well. And you can develop a plan of how you can speak love to one another with clear words. And next time on the Family Engagement Podcast, we're going to talk about the letter E and finish this home series. And so I thank you so much for joining me on this Family Engagement Podcast. Because remember, an engaged family is a thriving family.